Hello, beautiful, wonderful, amazing people. Welcome back to another episode of Project 25. Happy end of the month. <laughs> I mean, it feels like January 1st was like six months ago. <laughs> But here we are. Thank you so much for being here for another episode and, you know, for putting up with this raspy voice. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very grateful that you're here. And I'm very excited to present you to this week's guest. His name is Laron L. Barton. He was 45 at the time of recording and he's a writer from Kansas City, Missouri. A graduate of Paseo Academy of Fine Arts, Laurent is the author of two books, Straight Dope, a 360-degree look into American drug culture, and All We Really Need is Love, stories of dating, relationships, heartbreak, and marriage. In addition to his books, Laurent is an essayist whose topics cover racism, mass incarceration, politics, gender, and dating. His work has appeared in Black Enterprise, Salon, Harvard Business Review, The Goodman Project, Your Tango, Media Diversity, Raconteur, Elephant Journal, Eastway Times, and MOAD. Laurent is also an international speaker who has given three TEDx speeches and has appeared at Al Jazeera, the University of San Francisco, Navis, Speakers Who Dare, NAS Dubai, Glide Memorial Church, The City of Cupertino, Los Altos Chamber of Commerce, Square, and Defy Ventures. He is really busy working and writing, but in his spare time, Laurent enjoys mentoring African-American youth, teaching creative writing at the San Francisco County Jail, and backpacking around the world. Stay here because this was a very insightful conversation. I really respect Laurent's honesty and vulnerability and authenticity as he spoke about his experiences in his 20s, like seeking external validation, experiencing self-doubt, but he also spoke about the things that he has learned throughout the years, such as embracing the things that make you different, living in eternal gratitude and service, and believing in yourself and on your vision, and how your life changes once you start doing that. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And also, if you'd like to see more of Laurent's work, I will be linking it in the episode description. And well, whatever you are, at whatever hour you are listening to this, I hope that you have a lovely time. Project 25 was born out of the obsession that we have with figuring things out. Being a 25-year-old or a 20-something is a lot. It's fun and exciting, but also confusing and weird. It's an age where we realize that maybe the goals we had for ourselves weren't really ours to begin with, an age of tons of learning and unlearning, and an age of frequently asking ourselves, what am I doing with my life? And that leaves us with a lot of uncertainty. I'm Andrea Juarez, and I created this project when I hit my quarter-life crisis. <laughs> Looking for answers, I decided to ask my family members, friends, and people I admire about their experiences being 25, what has changed, what they've learned, and their advice for the new generation of 20-somethings. Hello, Laron. Thank you so much for joining me today. We were just chatting briefly about, like, this was a podcast that 
you listened to Ana Maria's and Linda's episodes. But yeah, I was also very excited to chat with you because I know that when you listen to those episodes, you share a little bit about your own experiences on Instagram and what you used to think when you were 25 and how that has evolved. But I've also seen how your work has inspired others. I watch a couple of your YouTube videos. Something that really comes to mind is the video you did about your stutter and I am the person that reads the comments and a lot of people were saying like, you know, this was so inspiring. I struggle with this. I live with this. And this really has like inspired me like to go ahead and like be more relaxed about this. Yeah, I've seen how you've inspired others. And I also read you're passionate about mentoring youth and about sharing your stories and how you encourage others to share their stories. So I think we're going to have a great conversation. <laughs> Again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Andrea. You know, it, this has been such a really important podcast that I've looked forward to doing because a lot of people, as we get older, we get to kind of look back and be like, okay, I was this at this point when I was 25 and you get to see the growth and just the maturation and, and just the uh, development and, ev and evolution of, of a person and how things that we thought then are not as cut and dry as they are now, or just how we weren't too far off, but we needed to go through more things to kind of get to where we are, you know? 100%. So now before we start, I'm going to ask you, what's your age, title, and how will you describe yourself? My name is Laurent Barton. I am 45 years old, so I'm five years away from the, from the big two quarters. <laughs> wow. I am a writer, author, and speaker. I write and talk a lot about race from the perspective of a Black man in America. I write about mass incarceration. That's something that I'm extremely passionate about. I also write about politics, business, being black in tech, as well as the occasional dating article. That's what I'm passionate. And, 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 and as you said earlier, I'm really passionate about helping people tell their own story because I feel like Andrea, as, as you're doing today, there's so many stories that are not being told because people feel like they either are not worthy. They don't have an outlet. They don't know how to get an outlet. They don't think people will listen to them. And I just want people to know, yo, your voice counts. You know, you count. And as a friend of mine, told me, Andrea, if you don't tell your story, then people never know if you existed. That really resonated with me when I was uh, watching your TED Talk. You know, there are so many stories out there that we don't know about. And like you mentioned too, like it really helps. Telling your story helps illuminate and kind of like get rid of the ignorance. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I look forward to hearing your story. So I'm going to ask you... <laughs> What did you do when you were 25? Wow. Okay. So let's, uh, so let's take the time machine, right, Andrea? So when I was 25 years old, I was still in Kansas City, Missouri. So I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. And I was working at a company called Everest Connections. I was a um, network operations analyst and I had just been promoted. And I'm working in this telecommunications company, still trying to figure it out, still wasn't doing anything creative and just wasn't, I mean, was happy, but wasn't fulfilled. I mean, like there's a humongous difference. You can be having a good time, but if you're not fulfilled, then you're not really doing what you should or truly are put on this planet to do by God. So I was just, I was just kind of just being a 25 year old, Andrea. Thank you. Yeah, you were trying to, I guess, yeah, just going with the flow and Absolutely. a lot of 
25 year olds, including myself. Uh, I mean, just really just you know, like, you know, drinking, partying, uh, just trying to sort of in like uh, put myself in into the bar scene. I had also started traveling. So, you know, it was just kind of kind of getting a taste of uh, of what the world and what and what life is. But just, yeah, wasn't you know, wasn't definitely where where I am today. Thank you. And I want to ask you, you're just telling me that, you know, you had your job and you had started traveling. I also want to ask, what do you think when you were at that age? Like, what was your vision of the world? Or did you follow our religion? Or what was your belief? Or um, if you had a specific mantra? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, it's a very good question. So a couple of years prior to that, I had just converted to Catholicism. I didn't grow up religious, but I was always really curious. I mean, I, I tried my hand at, you know, going into you know, like Baptist churches, but it just didn't, it just didn't fit. I read up on, read up on Islam. It just didn't fit. I even flirted with Christian science, but that just didn't fit. But for me, something about Catholicism just, it, it moved me. I mean, I don't know if it was the, just the traditions or it was just going, going to mass, but it just seemed like it was just kind of like, this fit. And Andrew, I'll say it's the best thing I've I've ever done. Funny, as a writer, I would always write very, I guess, lack of a better term, like very like cutting edge kind of controversial things. And I remember, I never forget this conversation. I, I was coming to my mentor, Stan, Stan Banks. He's a, was my uh, high school writing professor. And I asked him, I was like, would my writing suffer or will, would it get less edgy if I converted to Catholicism? And he said, I, I don't, I don't think so. If, if, if anything, it will get better. And it did. It added gravitas. And so at that time, yeah, you know, I, I was still, and, you know, I've just been a Catholic from from maybe two, three years. And uh, yeah, it was, again, it's it, it's the best thing that I've ever done. I mean, I, I know people have problems with the church and the church is church is not perfect. I mean, I don't like the church's stance on abortion because I'm I'm a pro-choice gentleman. I don't like the, the church's stance on why there are no women priests, why the church's stance on LGBTQ, because I don't believe people choose to be gay. I, I believe people are born gay. You know, people cannot help that. So those things bother me, but nothing is perfect. I'm not trying to excuse the church's leanings, but it's just from from me, I would not be anything else. Yeah, and that's your choice. And yeah, that's respectable too, right? Like everyone has their own you know, beliefs. So thank you very much for sharing that. And you said that it really helped you. It has made such a big difference in your life. But yeah, besides your religion, like, did you have any other beliefs on what life should look like when you were 25? Yes, I, yes, I did. So growing up in Kansas City, Missouri, and Andrea, like people get married early. People have kids early. And so I, I kind of had this thought. I was like, well, I'm going to get married by the time I'm 28. I'm I'm gonna have a kid by the time I'm 30. I was looking to buy a house. I mean, just you know, like all this stuff. And so I thought that that was the path. I also thought that um, racism was not that big of a deal. I consider myself to be a a bit of a homophobe as 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 well. I thought black folks could be racist. I thought Latinos could be racist. Um, I thought that you know racism was all about ignorance. So I had this very was a narrow view of life because because again I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. At the time, Kansas City wasn't the most culturally forward place. And mind you, I went to school in in San Diego, but I came back to Kansas City because I was homesick. And fast forward today. 
I don't believe any of that. But it just kind of goes to show you that when you're that young, you you have a certain view of life because you haven't really experienced nothing. You know what I mean? This is not to diminish what anyone who is 25 has experienced, but it's like when you're 25. So look, when I was 30, I was different than I was 25, right? 35, you know, I just just grow. It's like every five years you, you grow and you evolve. And so who I am at 45 is different than who, than who I was at 40. You know what I mean? And it's like the 25 year old Iran, he probably look at me and he'd be like, man, you, he'd be like, man, you lame. Like, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't like to go out. You ain't doing no drugs. How you having fun? I mean, like, yo, I mean, you know, you, uh, um, you, you just inside you with one woman, like, you know what I mean? So it's just like, we just grow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And actually that leads me to my next question. When you were saying like 25 year old me will think I'm lame and I'm nothing like my 25 year old self. So I want to ask now, yeah, from when you were 25 to this day, what has changed in the world, in yourself? Well, first off, uh, one of the things that has changed is just my consumption of alcohol. When I was 25, Andrea, I would go out like four or five times a, a week. I would, you know, I would drink a lot. I used cannabis at the time. And so, you know, I, I would just go out and I, and I was very promiscuous as well. And so what I was doing, Andrea, is I was looking for a way to fill this this hole because I didn't feel really good about myself. I was looking for external validation. I felt that growing up, grew up without a father for a large portion of my life. I really don't remember meeting my father until I was 13 years old. So I didn't have that model of, of, of what manhood, what, I'm sorry, what healthy manhood looked like. I mean, I had my grandfather, but I was primarily raised by my mother. And so I was teased a lot for being a darker skinned person. I was teased for having a stutter. And so my looks per se didn't come in until I was junior in high school. And so as I got older, I started to get more attention from uh, from women. And I began to want to seek out this attention. I, I wanted to feel beautiful. I wanted to feel de desired. And so when you're and so when you're going out to the bars, you're looking to, quote unquote, hook up. And I was seeking that at the time. But one thing about that, Andrea is like, that doesn't last. That type of validation, you will never get enough of it, right? It'll never, it's like there is a story that I listened to when I was in catechumen class. In hell, there was this guy, his whole job was to fill these jars up with water, right? But, but the jars had no bottom. So it's like, no matter like how much water the gentleman would, would pour in, it would always, it would always go, go out. So I just had to be real with myself and look at myself. And so there was a point, as I said, you know, I, I drank a lot. I, I use, I use cannabis. I, I then started to, for a short period of time, I began to use promethazine for those who don't know what that is. That is a, that is cough syrup with codeine. So I'll never forget this day. I was using, I was just drinking cough syrup. I was, I was high. I was laying on my couch, you know, just hair was just unkept. I was in this robe. My, my place was messy. And a friend of mine came over and we're talking and we just start arguing. And she said this, Andrea, she said, Laurent, you need to clean up your place. I'm sorry. You need to clean your house figuratively and literally. And she left and I just looked at myself and I just looked pathetic. But I mean, that's but when you're trying to 
make yourself feel better by external val- validation, that's where that's that's where you land. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Yes, there's a quote that says that attention is not love, right? Because sometimes I feel like when we seek out external validation or we seek, I was thinking about this the other day, like some, it feels like as sometimes we want others to see ourselves or discover right. us or, you know, but it's like we want that because we don't see ourselves, right. we don't acknowledge ourselves. And I think that, you know, I've been guilty of wanting external validation. Like I like attention. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to yeah. you, right? Who doesn't, right? But, exactly. But up to a certain point, right? I don't know, like I could never be like an influencer with millions of followers. <laughs> so like I admire people, you know, have to deal with that because I'm sure it's not easy. But yeah, like my point is that this external validation and attention, like it's not love. And I think that overall, when we seek that, it's because we are seeking for to be loved because sometimes we right. love ourselves, right? That's my take Absolutely. sometimes when that happens. I don't know what you will think about that. I totally agree with that. I, I think that, uh, gosh, it, it it's like what Lauren Hill said, when you're not right within, you know what I mean? You're, you know I mean? you're going to search. And it, it took a long time for me to truly love, love Leron. Like, and, and it's not a process that is over, that is overnight. This is something that happens. I mean, this took years to be honest with you, Andrea, like I didn't fall in love with who Leron was until maybe about four or five years ago. You know what I mean? And that's just be, be, because of, again, you know, we're, we're changing. We're, you know, we're trying different things. We're finding who we are. And I just know that when I, you know, I, I started to like myself, right? So, you know, I like to like myself. Then I really liked myself. Then I really liked myself. Then I just fell in love with, with who, with who Leron, Leron Barton is. And when you do that, you accept your flaws, right? I, mean, I remember I was about 32, 33 years old. And that's when I, I, I stopped code switching. And for those who don't know what code switching is, is that when you talk one way with one set of people and you talk another way with, uh, with another set of people. And Andrea, I was like, this is exhausting. Like, yo, like this is, this is too much thinking. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to be who, 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 who I'm going to be regardless. And so that's sort of stepping into who I am. I mean, when I did my first TEDx, when I was, um, gosh, this was in 2018, right before I, I turned 40, like I, I embraced, well, I'm sorry, I actually, right after I turned 40, I, I embraced my stutter. I have a stutter. It's something that I do every single day. I don't try to hide it. I just come out, you know, when I meet people, oh, oh, hey, by the way, you know, I have a stutter. So if you hear something, don't be alarmed. Saga's not a glitch in a matrix. But, but I mean, just, you know, embracing that, you know, just, you know, just realizing, Hey, you know, I'm a goofball. I think I'm a lot cooler than what I really am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm clumsy and I'm a people pleaser, but it, it's just these things, just embracing and accepting who I am is just been such a long road to, to truly loving who I am. Thank you for, for saying that. Yeah. One thing my cousin says is that I think we're here to like discover ourselves and, you know, here in us in this life. <laughs> right. So I think that I guess that with time, it's that the more time you spend with yourself, the more you get to know yourself and the more you can, you know, love and like yourself. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, ma'am. No, I totally agree. Thank you, Leron. And now I want to ask. I know you mentioned at the beginning that you're a writer, author, speaker, but yeah, like 
Uh, if you can tell us a little bit more about what you do now and what are your beliefs. Sure. Okay, so I, I've written two books. Published my first book in 2013. It's called Straight Dope, a 360-degree look into American drug culture. Second book was published in 2015. It's called All We Really Need is Love, Stories of Dating, Relationships, Heartbreak, and Marriage. And Andrea, I started out writing about just, you know, my you know, my, my life. I, I began to like my first piece that was published actually was in a was uh, was by myself was in the good men project and it was a piece i believe it was called chasing christina or you know why why i stopped being a player and, and and it was about this young lady named christina and why she never liked me like that and you know the and just the the reason for that is because you know she was just looking to just settle down and and I was I was looking to settle down at the at at the time and then it wasn't until you know when Trayvon Martin died I, it just I had an awakening right you know I was just like okay people are blaming this young black man for being killed and he's just walking home and I seen so many of my friends so many of my white friends saying things like, oh my God, you're like, what was he doing out there? Was he, was he a criminal? Why do people have to, have, have, have to write and loot? And, and I just saw just how just the rhetoric online was just so negative, so anti-black. And so I began to write about that. I, I began to write about my experience and I, I went from writing in the, in, in the Good Men Project. I got placed on Salon and I just started writing about being, you know, being black in America. What are the pitfalls? You know, what are, you know, what are things that, my brother and I had to deal with because, you know, he's, he's my best friend in the entire world. So we were two young boys raised by a single mother. So I talked about how race just sort of impacted our lives and, and just, you know, framing everything from that. And so from, from there on Andrea, I, I began to learn about systemic racism. When you're younger, you think that racism is just the clan or it's just police beating up on black folks or it's just skinhead or skinheads or it's just some crazy white man calling you the n-word but it's really you know everything from medical to education to law enforcement to war to housing like just began to just educate myself reading works from people like uh james you know james baldwin uh reading Derek bell is the founder of he's not only the founder but he's the creator of of critical race theory listening to different people uh reading dr dr tommy j curry with the man not and just educating my, myself because one thing about race and a lot of Black parents, and I can only speak for Black people because I don't know what it's like to to be Latino, Asian, Middle, you know, like Middle Eastern, in, Indigenous. But my mother, she raised us to believe, oh, you know, there, you know, you know, some white people can be racist, or you gotta work, you know, you gotta work twice as hard as um as them, and and you know, you have to be home before the streetlights come on. So it it wasn't very explicit. But it was these all these sort of messages that were hidden, but had but had meaning. And so today, I don't believe that white people are ignorant when when it comes to racism. I believe that they know exactly what they're what they're doing. Today, I believe that mass incarceration is an extension of slavery. I believe that specifically for black and brown boys, I believe we are targeted by the justice system. I mean, it's it's right there. I mean, I 
when I did a talk for Oxford, which was something that was uh, such a significant uh, uh, accomplishment, Andrea, I talked about how black men are targeted more than more than any group in America when it comes to mass incarceration and at Oxford doing this. To put that into perspective, Andrea, like I grew up with a stutter. Like I'm a poor black kid from Kansas City, Missouri with a stutter. And I'm speaking at what I uh, what I like to tell kids the Harry Potter of school. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, it's just funny, like the way life takes you, but just being just determined and just being just, just driven and just, you know, realizing that you have to like chill on, chill on the alcohol, realizing that as my man Travis told me, there's always going to be more parties, man. You know what I mean? Missing that, staying at, staying at home. I mean, just so much has changed from 20, from 25 to 45. Like, you know, like we can be here like all day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Thank you very much for sharing that. What you just mentioned about from, you know, having a daughter to, you know, be out here at Oxford and talking about this topic that is meaningful to you. Like when you were speaking about drive, I think that there's a book, I haven't read it, but it's more something like do what you love and the rest will follow. I think yes. that when we do stuff that's really meaningful to mm -hmm. us, when we have yeah, this drive to raise awareness about a topic or help people or educate people, everything just starts to fall into yeah. place in my opinion 100% like Jay-Z uh, uh he he once said every one of us has a genius level talent right and so i would like to think and you know this is just my my opinion but i like to think my my genius level talent is telling stories and 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 is also con uh, connecting with people i'm sorry and connecting people anyway about 4 years ago andrea i began to embrace networking and i used to think it was so just it was so stodgy and just so it just felt so transactional right and it wasn't until i reframed it from instead of like you know networking with people but just simply building community and so i got a chance to build community with with Linda and Anna Maria and I'm constantly meeting people and I'm like, Hey, you know what? I know somebody that does this. Let me connect you. Or, you know what? I know someone that can help you out. And so for me, that that's one of my biggest pleasures because I love, I, I just love just like helping people because it, it's like when you build your community, you build more foundation and no one, no one gets here by themselves. You, you know, I, I, I think so many of us, Andrea, we we just want to be the man just just cause, right? Like, you know, we think that, oh, well, you know, I did this on my own. And like, no, you didn't. Nobody has success by themselves. I mean, if you look at it from uh, from a financial uh, aspect, right? Jeff Bezos got a three hundred thousand dollar loan to start Amazon. Donald Trump got one million dollars from his from his father. Zuckerberg, as well as Gates, they came from financially stable places that that supported them. I, I wrote a piece recently for the Harvard Business Review about black startup founders and just how one of the things that the challenges that we have is is getting is getting funding is getting past the friends and family round because you know many of the startup founders they get monies from their families. So just or just even someone giving you a chance. So I'm all about yo let's yo let's like let's help people and you know i i've never i've never been the uh, been the type of person to really be selfish with connection andrea a lot of people 
will gatekeep. They look at it from a form of scarcity, right? Oh, well, you know, if I, you know, if I introduce uh, Andrea to this person, she may take that from me. You know what I mean? Versus saying like something like that I learned recently, Andrea, is like what's for you will not miss you. And that's real talk. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I also like really embrace the connectedness between all of us. And also like big shout out to Linda and Maria for introducing us. <laughs> they are incredible. Those yes. are those, those ladies, you know, they are they are so good because they really take the time out to really not only get to know somebody, but when we did a LinkedIn live, uh, Andrea, yeah, I heard it. I, yeah, I listened right? to it. Yeah. Like, you know, um, and it was fly. And it was like, I would say like something that would be incorrect. And they'd be like, Hey, LeBron, you know, we just got to let you know that verbiage ain't it. And I'm like, yeah. okay, like, you know what I mean? It, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to have humility and know that they're not coming from a place of uh, of just viciousness, but from a place of goodness. Yeah, and respect. Yeah, I remember Ana Maria said something like, yeah, this is, we are learning gently. So we want others to learn gently. She said something Absolutely. along those lines. But yeah, even what you said about gatekeeping and no man is like self-made. Like when you were saying talking about those millionaires, I Elon Musk also came to mind. I think he also got a loan from his father or something like that. Right. His family came from money. So I, I also like no longer believe in that, you know, self-made myth. Because yeah, we are all connected like no man is an island right no person is an island i i i think that people and, and i kind of want to expound on this like i think people truly are invested in the myth of meritocracy right because in america it just doesn't exist man i mean it, it's just i mean i mean again like when the affirmative action debate was was happening and when affirmative action was just toppled one of the things that i, that I found out is like 43 of all um legacy i'm sorry of all admins in, in the harvard are legacy admins and the a lot of the legacy admins are white so that's a that's a humongous leg up 75 percent of all jobs are gained by people you know it, it's called social capital it's a concept that my friend karen fleshman told me about so again we are in love with the with this pull yourself up by your bootstraps myth but it's just not real like people get on because of who they know not because of what they know I'll give you an example. I've been trying to submit a essay to Slate for for years, right? You know, trying to get in, trying to just trying to pitch to Slate. And it wasn't until someone called me for an interview for a podcast for Slate. I started talking to a person and, and I'm like, hey, hey, by the way, I would like to write an essay. Oh, okay, great. Let me get you in contact with our editor. Talk to the editor directly, Andrea, and was able to get and was able to get some published. I mean, you know, it it wasn't easy, but just knowing that person was it just ha just having that connection. That's the reason why I like connection building is is so important, especially for folks that look like us. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't have those keys that, you know, white folks have. Yeah, no, thank you very much for saying that. I also believe that I think about even like my current job. I got it because a friend had worked there and then he was no longer there. But he was like, you know, you should apply and. No, I said, oh, yeah, I know this person. And we all like got each other. And I think it's important uh, right. like, for us people who are, in, you know, us, the global majority, like, <laughs> right. should, like yeah, like help each other out. And even Absolutely. when you something that you said about gatekeeping and scarcity, I am also a big believer in, in abundance. And mm -hmm. I was reading a book 
It's called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I don't know if you ever heard no. about it before. It's um, she interweaves um, indigenous knowledge and scientific knowledge and the teachings of plants. But she talks about how when trees give out more, like more fruits, you mm -hmm. know, more more squirrels can come up and like eat, and then more eagles can come on and like eat squirrels, <laughs> and So like the cycle of life is kind of like right. completed basically. Uh, but she says like, yeah, sometimes uh, trees give out more fruit that, than normal. So more squirrels reproduce. So more, you know, eagles can eat more. And like, you know, this cycle is just keeps going, keeps going. And she says that abundance helps us all when you do well and help others and they do well, you know, we're all helping each other. And then she wraps up saying like, you know, all flourishing is mutual, which is one of my favorite quotes. So like, let's help each other out, especially within this capitalist mindset where, you know, it's, it's based on right. scarcity. I think that thinking about like abundance and helping others, it's kind of like a revolutionary act in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, because again, like with capitalism, it's all about one one person. It's about exploitation. I mean, look, Malcolm X said it best. If you find a capitalist, you'll you'll find a bloodsucker. Right. And so capitalism, everyone can't be on the same level. Right. You know, there's always got to be a boss. There's always got to be a Don. There's always got to be someone that's just not compensated fairly. And capitalism is the system that we that we that we have. All right. Okay, cool. Boom. That that does doesn't mean that we can't be ethical with it. You know what I mean? That, 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 that doesn't mean that like, you know, we got to steal or just be shyst and just try to underpay folks or just try to keep people away from, away from opportunities. Like again, that, that's why I'm so big on community. And plus, you know, I believe in, I believe in, in karma. You know, I, I believe that the golden rule still applies, you know, do unto others as they do to you. And that's what I try to live, live by. I don't always live up to it, but I strive to be, you know, I, I, I strive to quote a friend, Jason Tesloff, Andrea, I strive to be in eternal gratitude and I strive to be in service. That's it. And I think that comes through with with my writing, with what I talk about, because it's never really about me. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, you know, it's my it's it's my story, but I'm putting myself out there. So hopefully people can learn and and identify and be like, yo, I feel that. I mean, you were talking about the comments for the first TEDx and it's incredible how many messages I've gotten from emails, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, just, you know, LinkedIn. Oh my God. You're like, you know, you, uh, you know, you really helped me out. How did you do that? And it's just, it's very humbling to know that, you know, or just from the writing, yo, um, I read what you said, man, I, this is, This is my life. Like, I like, you know, one of the dopest messages I, I got, Andrea, was, you know, there was a black woman. She 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 posted on LinkedIn how my latest, how one of my pieces in Newsweek, like, made her cry. And I mean, that's just like, man, like, you know, that's that's what you strive to do. For me, what I strive to do, Andrea, is I just want to make sure people are seen and heard, man. And, you know, I hope that I get that done. I think you're doing it for sure. <laughs> thank you so much. For real, for real. No, thank you, Leron. And now I want to ask you. Yes. Um, what has been 
your biggest challenge and how do you deal or dealt with it? Okay. So are we talking about from 25 to now, or are we talking about like right now? Uh, anything like, like um, it could um, be both. It could be either. Or. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so one of my biggest challenges that I've had to overcome is doubting myself. Right. You know, my, you know, my mother told me long time ago, she says self-doubt has no place in your, in your mind. Right. And when you grow up black, when you, when you grow up poor in Kansas, Missouri, when, when you don't see people that, that look like you that are doing things that you want to do, it has, it, it, it has an effect when you've been told you can't do this. This is not good enough. Or just when you're not, when you pitch something and, and, and it doesn't land or, you know, people don't read your stuff or when I was in high school, I was in a creative writing program. And I like to tell this, tell this story, but in my senior year, I had to write a play and it was a play. It was about, it was so, it was, it was so goofy, Andrea. It was a play about this rock and roll singer whose lyrics were so controversial. He was getting, he was getting protested at, at his shows and he was just this cutting edge guy. And, and one of his fans ends up killing him because he sold out. And it's just so fantastical. It's just ridiculous, right? But, you know, I liked it. And so the play was so bad that the actors laughed at the dialogue. Like, oh, like, I mean, think about it. This is something like that you put your heart and soul into and people laugh at you. I mean, and I believe I was 17 years old. So that could have damaged. You know, when I when I got on stage at Glide Church much, much years later and I attempted to give a talk. And I stuttered throughout the entire talk. I was like, damn, like, you know, I mean, I sounded horrible. Even my, even my girlfriend at the time, she's like, yeah, that wasn't very, it wasn't very good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, just like, like at least like 50, 60 people and I'm stuttering. And so, you know, I never forget one, one day I said, you know, Laurent, maybe this public speaking thing ain't for you. And so it, it's always been a challenge to overcome doubt. And it wasn't until, I got a piece published in Newsweek, which was just a phenomenal thing for me because, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up reading Newsweek and I, I don't know anyone that's a written, <clears throat> written in there. So to be able to, to get some published in, in Newsweek about Kansas City, about being black, this was after the Ralph, the Ralph Yarl shooting, you know, like the, you know, like the young man who was shot by the, by the older white man and to do, and to do that. And then to do the auction talk, as I mentioned before, that totally eradicated any doubt, any fear, any type of uh, imposter syn- syndrome. That shit was gone. Like, I no longer have that. Like, I beat imposter syn- syndrome because I knew that I was like, look, if if I can do these things, then, then I can do anything. And so now my biggest challenge at the moment, Andrea, is learning boundary. I'm a people pleaser. So I don't want to see people angry or sad. If you and I were to ever hang, ever hang out, I would ask you, Hey, Hey, are you, are you having a good time? You, uh, you all, you all good because that's just me thinking like, Oh, uh, okay. I, you know, I want to make sure Andrea's good. Right. So boundaries have been a really challenge for me because I tend to overextend myself. I tend to say yes a lot. And someone once, once told me, if you don't have a strong no, you're not going to have a strong yes. And I need to tell people, listen, I don't want to do that. Or listen, I want to do something else. This isn't right for me. So at 45 years old, 
I'm slowly learning how to do that. But it takes time and building boundaries, building healthy boundaries is not an easy thing to do. As a fellow people pleaser, I agree. <laughs> Thank you so much. But we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Absolutely. Yo, yo, Andre, it's a long, it's a long road, but you know what? I see the summit. I, yeah. I see it. I see it. <laughs> Word up. Thank you, Laurent. And now I want to ask if you could share a time in which you failed. So whatever failure means for you, what happened? How did you handle the situation? And what did you learn? Okay. Um, so I, I can give you a really good one. So uh, again, referencing the the speech at Glide Church. So Glide Church is this world famous uh, church in San Francisco, California. It's it's in the Tenderloin District. It's where people everywhere, people from Gavin Newsom, who's the governor of California, to uh, to Bono of U2, Maya Angelou, you know, they've all come there. And I was slated to give a short speech about race in America. And I got up there and, and, and as I said, I just, I, I couldn't like the words just would, would not come out. And I remember, I'll never forget this. Like I, like I felt horrible. And there was a guy, Michael Franti of Spearhead, this band called Spearhead. He comes up to me and, and he said, good job, man. And I was like, no, it wasn't like, you know, like family, I was terrible. So I got another chance to give a talk. I think it was like a couple weeks later. So Andrea, what I did was I went home, I practiced, I practiced, I practiced. Like I said that speech over and over and over and over and over. And I was like, yo, you know, I'm going to do this. So when it came time for me to give the speech, it went off well. Like, you know, it wasn't flawless. It wasn't great, but I did very, very well. And I was really proud of myself. And I realized that if I, I've always won, I've always been successful when I've been prepared, when I've studied, when I have came in and I'm just like, yo, I didn't slack. I got everything, everything done. And when I've attempted to do something on the fly, that's when I failed. So, I mean, in addition to like the, the three TEDx's as well as like the different talks that I've done and, and the Oxford talk, I've always prepared some, I've even sometimes I've, I've even over-prepared because I just want to make sure that all the bases are are covered, you know? So if I would tell any young person, listen to this, it's just like, be prepared. Don't take any opportunity lightly because you never know what that's going to lead to next. So be on your A-game. Thank you. Yeah, that's great advice for sure. And now I just have a couple of uh, questions left, Laurent. I want to ask what has motivated you or what motivates you? I just want to be great. That's what motivates me. I have a list of, of uh, really like bucket list goals that, uh, that I want to accomplish. I want to be heard. I think that I want young kids from, you know, Southside, from, from, from Kansas, just everywhere to, to look at me and, and to go, yo, you know, he came from that and he's a, and he's, a, and he's this, you know, I want to, I want to do everything I can because time is finite. Styles P said in the song, you older, you older longer than you younger. And that's real talk. Yo, like I totally understand when, when people say youth is wasted on the young, because we think we, we have this abundance of time, but like, we really don't like yesterday is gone. We're never going to get yesterday back. So today we have to commit. And 
it gets hard. I, I just, I don't know. Like, you know, Andrea, like, I just, I want to see it all and I want to do it all. But just, for, you know, for me, as well as for folks that are coming up after me, seeing someone do something that comes from the same circumstances you come, you come from, that just means like that it's just possible, man. It's real. You, you, you can touch it. You dig? It isn't Santa Claus. It's real. Yeah. Thank you very much for saying that. And when you, because you mentioned, you know, you want to see it all, you want to do it all. I want to follow up and ask you, what are your goals or plans for the future? Great question. So, so this is a world premiere here. <laughs> what I would like to do, I would like to speak at the United Nations. I, I think that's a, that's a goal of mine. It's just something that I just would be incredible. So I really want to do that. I would really like to ring the New York Stock Exchange bell. I just think that that just looks cool. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like, yo, we, yo, we did it. Let's get some drinks. Let's party. <laughs> like, you know, I just like, it's something about that. It, it always looked cool. Like, I, I, I knew this, this woman who had went with her company and they, and, and, and they did it. And, and, and I'm like, damn, like this woman and I, we're, We're Facebook friends. I believe her name is Bianca or some, some like, some like, some like, some like, some like the like gorgeous woman. And so I was like, wow, you're like, you know, she did that. I want to do that. But those are two things, but just definitely those are two goals. And also what I'm doing at the moment is I am creating a concept that will help the formerly incarcerated get jobs in tech. That's my main goal. I mean, I, I feel like that I do want to, I do want to still write, you know, I, I would love to get something featured in Esquire or GQ, but just at the, at the moment, Andrea, that's my main goal is just to, to figure out how to create this, you know, and right now it's, I'm, I'm in the embryo stage, right? Where I'm just, I'm gathering data. I'm, I'm looking at possibilities, you know, I'm, I'm reaching, I'm reaching out to people. And so I'm truly excited about that. So yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, and just honestly, you know, I'm excited to see my nephews grow. I'm excited about going back to California. I think it's just time like California's home. You know, it's, I mean, I love California so much and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's just pretty much up, uh, about it. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, Absolutely. I look forward to seeing your pictures in the United Nations. <laughs> listen, uh, uh, listen, yo, I'm an actor. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, but I mean, it's like, but I mean, no, you know, think about it. Just oh, yeah, everything is possible. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not logical that uh, that a, uh, that a kid with a stutter has has done three TEDx's. Man, I mean, I didn't graduate college, and I've published two pieces for Newsweek. Like. All that is possible. Like, you know what was really cool this year, uh, Andrea? So I was in the airport and I'm just like grabbing some grabbing some stuff to uh, to drink or eat. And I see this Harvard Business Re Review issue on the stands and it was like imposter syndrome. And I'm like, whoa, hold, hold up. I wrote a piece for Harvard Business Re Review about imposter syndrome. I opened the magazine. I'm in there. My, so cool. my my art was in there. I'm like, I always wanted to do that. I was like, yo. So I go up to the cashier. I'm I'm like, yo, I'm in here. I'm in this magazine. She was like, cool, $20. <laughs> I mean, it's like, she was like, she was like, all right, great. Cash a check. But, but, I mean, but I mean, still though, but like, it's, it's possible. You really just got to believe in yourself. And that's what, you know, that's what I want folk your age to, to know, Andrea, like, you know, you have a stupid dope podcast. And I just, 
I'm so blessed to be honest because I, because as I told you before, I was so excited. Yo, like when I was listening to like Anna Maria, I'm like, yo, I cannot wait to be on this podcast. I'm going to answer like, answer like this. I'm going to tell this story. And then that came to pass. But it's, <laughs> but it's like still like, I just, I love what you're doing. And it's really important for people to reflect on where they, on where they've been. Don't look back too much, but just look back on and just, just be like, damn, like, you know, I've, um, I've came this, I've came this far. You know, there, there's a concept. It's called earn confidence. And what that means is, is that if Andrea can do this podcast, she, she's like, shit, I can do, I, I can do a YouTube channel. YouTube channel gets, um, gets, gets, gets successful. Shit, I can do, I, I, I can do a show. It's all about building on your past successes and just knowing that if it went right, for this, it's going to go right for the next one. Yeah. Thank you very much for saying that. Yes. I like to, I've said it in this podcast too, but I think that I like the concept of earned confidence. I think it's so important. I feel like I'm getting into that phase right now, but I also call myself and like my friends and I, we call each other being delulu, delusional and just like think mm-hmm. about the craziest stuff that, you know, I really like big, really big goals, really big ambitions. Like, yeah, you're not going to get there right away, but step by step, uh, little by little, of course you can. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you just got to just believe it. I have a tremendous faith in God because everything that I, so it's like, it's like what Beanie Siegel said, he, he said, or, or, you know, like Malcolm X said, uh, everything that came from me was wrong, but everything that was right came, came, came through me. And so I just think that when you believe, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. Right. And so I just know that, okay, I don't know how I'm, how I'm going to do this, this, this concept, but I'm just following the steps, following, I'm I'm following God's guidance. I went to the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama. It was the most impactful thing I've ever seen in my life. Like it just, it changed my life, Andrea. And, And it, and it was one of those things that I needed to see to work on my project. So yeah, you know, people can call you delusional, but, but let me ask you this. When you decided to, uh, to start your podcast, right. And you, and you told a couple folks, how many people supported you? Keep 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 it real. So, well, when I I initially started as a publication, mm-hmm. and then one of my friends was like, "You know what? I think this will be like a really good podcast." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" But it's so much work because I was also doing school on the side. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, he, and then he was like, weeks after, he was like, "Andrea." I dreamed that your project was a podcast. And I was like, <laughs> when he said that to me, like, that was a good day. Because like, I also had, like, I had gotten my tax money back. And I was like, this is a sign. I'm going to do it. But yeah, so I will say that when I first started, like, I remember doing like an Instagram account when I first announced it and it was a publication. So I think I, like about 70 people followed me when I announced it. But I will say like maybe 15 friends were like sharing it on their stories and being right. like, oh, like follow this. And, you know, you know, what's crazy is like and I really want people, young folks to know this. And this is something like that I had to realize is like the people that will support you are people that you don't think will support you. Right. Real talk. Like, you know this. Right. So I just met you via via email but I, 
but I'm a fan of the podcast. So I'm so I'm always support. I've gotten more support from folks I don't know than folks I do know. And so to the young people or just people who are trying to create something, trying to make something, trying to do something, we can't get deterred by our friends and family that that don't support us because people are just not going to see the vision. And that's okay. Hey, you know what? That should not influence or affect or impact the way you move forward. Just because someone doesn't see the vision, that doesn't mean that the vision's wrong. They just didn't see it. You know what I mean? I mean, like people, my father would always say, he said, Laron, it's not up to me to believe in your dream. And, and it's not up to you to believe in my dream. So, you know, Andrea, I will become bitter because people would not share my stuff because people would, people would not, would not read my pieces or whatever. But then, but then like, I just had to realize I'm like, so I'm, I mean, that's just, that's a small group. Like, like, like you got like all these other folks read, read it. And I guess it's, it's because it's personal and his family and his friends, you would think that they would have your back, but you know, some, some people are just not going to see the value in what you're, in what you're doing. And that's okay. Doesn't make them bad. It's just that they're not seeing the vision. Trust me. We, when you get to that next level, they're going to be like, oh my God, I knew you were going to be great. I just, I was just watching you from afar. You all like, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I mean? Like, sure. Like, <laughs> you know, just, but yeah, just, you know, don't take that personally. It's a very hard thing not to, but I just realized that I had a friend of mine, somebody that I really admire and I, I really value his, his opinion. And, you know, you know, he, he rarely shared my stuff and I was, and I was, and I, I and I harbored, this um this animus towards him and it wasn't until i realized i'm like dude like why are you tripping off of like one person b like you're like we like when you got thousands of other people you know, like just you know just move on you know no thank you for the valuable advice yeah i think that even i at the beginning i was like oh but i think that it was important for me to also learn that you know like don't take it personal because no one owes me anything and i don't owe any anyone absolutely either, right so, but yeah, I feel like it's, it, it may be something common among people pleasers because we're always there for everyone. So when someone uh, doesn't exactly. give back what we put out, it's like, you know, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. but yeah, we don't know people anything and they don't know anything to us. Honestly. That's, uh, I'm so glad, so glad that you, that you said that, Andrea, because I have to remember that. I'm like, yo, like I do so much for everybody and I don't get that back. And it's just someone once, once told me that they said expectations are forms of control, you, you, you know? So, you know, it's like, if it comes great, if, it, if, it, if it doesn't, it doesn't, you know? It is what it is. Exactly. And thank you, Laron. And we were just talking about this and, Oh, you gave us some great advice, you know, like don't take it personal, but also believe in yourself. Like it's up to you to believe in your dreams and work to accomplish them. But besides that, I don't know if there's more advice that you have for today's 20 somethings or what do you wish you knew when you were 25? Gosh, man, that's a, a very good, that is a very good question. My advice to people who are 25 is to know that time is time is fleeting don't be so hard on yourself you you know you you learn by doing right and so you have to look at failure as a form of of learning so i always love uh kobe bryant god rest the dead he once said that he found failure fascinating and so what he meant by that is that he said when he would fail 
he would do a I don't know if the top the, the proper word is like there's sort of a uh, a look at everything happen right he would look at the good things then he would look at the things that uh, that he needed to 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 improve on and then he would implement them the next go around so you have to look at failure as just it's not the end it's only the end when you stop you know also just experience life. I mean, I mean you know, you're going to have heartbreak. You know, you're going to have a uh, disappointment. You know, people don't pedalize people. You know what I mean? You're like, you know, don't put people on pedestals because people will disappoint you. One of the toughest things I've I've had to learn, Andrea, is that my mother, she's a flawed person. My father, he's a flawed person, but especially like you know, with places like with my mother, like because I because I put her on on such a pedestal, and it's really it's taken me a long time to sort of take her off that pedestal because you know she is not perfect. She will make mistakes. She is a flawed she's a flawed person. Don't get too caught up in drinking and drugs because that will just that'll just take you off the rails. Don't be so caught up in impressing people. I mean, because look, a lot of things that you are trying to do, do are just to, um, to impress other, other folks. Don't, don't worry about that stuff. And also one of the most important things that, that I, that I learned, Andrea, is that from 25 to 45, I don't have the same friends. Right. And so what I had to realize is that there are people that just will not be that will just not be around forever. You think, oh my God, I met this person. They're 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 awesome, but you know you have to under, understand that it's like certain friendships are just not forever. When I look back on my life today, I have from my high school days. I uh, I have I have one friend. He's an awesome person. I love him to pieces. And as I grew in age from twenties and thirties, I've got I got four friends. And that's it. And mind you, this is going just through like all these different relationships. It's just that some people are just not going to be there. They're going to fade off. And that is okay. It's nothing wrong with that. It's just that that's just the way life is. As you get older, you have different priorities. Different things start to matter more. Different things don't don't matter. And so you have to accept people for who they are. And finally, I would say believe in yourself and give grace to yourself, especially today, right? So we, this is 2023, we're, we're fresh out of a pandemic, right? So we're still not mentally over that. I don't care what, right? Yo, Andrea, you feel me? Like, <laughs> right? It's uh, crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, like the, the whole world shut, shut down, right? So take a moment to just set in just who you are. And if you make a mistake, that's okay. You know, I used to be, and I'm still am like one of my harshest, I am probably my harshest critic, but we also have to understand that, hey, our best varies from day to day, right? So my best yesterday is going to be different from my from my best t- today, and that's okay. And also one more thing, and this is something that affected me for a long time. Stop comparing yourself to to people. Real talk. Let me tell you something. Those Forbes list was like 30 under 30. Those, those, yes. lists, those folks, they buy, they purchase that slot. A, B, a lot of those folks, they're con artists, they're criminals. SBF, the crypto guy, he's arrested. He was on that list. The young lady who started the biotech firm. Um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Holmes? Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes, she's in prison. So as a young person, I didn't have social media coming up the way that you do. 
right? So you're ha- so you're comparing your your life to people whose job it is to project perfection. Their edits, there's like lighting, there's like trust me, these people they don't look like that all the time. My friend Candy said it best. Social media is a highlight reel. And so yeah. you're measuring your progress against someone who's not only like shit's not real, A, B, if they did make it, they knew somebody or got a hand up and see that's just going to make you feel bad about yourself. And let's just keep it funky. Going back to race. Look, man, specifically black and Latinx folks, man, we, we have such, such a hard road. So again, we're comparing ourselves against people who are just essentially an, an illusion or just, just got put on. So comparison is the thief of joy, compare and despair. So yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. I'm glad you mentioned those Forbes 40 under 40 or 30 under 30. I think that also puts a lot of pressure on younger people to be like, you know, I have to make it. It's one of the reasons I created this podcast because it's like, okay, yeah. Like you said, some of them got handouts or, you know, are con artists. Right. And And maybe there may be some over there who really worked to get there but also you don't see the grit behind the glory right so and it's important to highlight that as well that's why yeah i like that yeah it's it's important to know the grit behind the glory so Laurent, before we go i just want to ask you if there's anything you'd like to share that you think it's important and i didn't ask you yes it's important for you to love yourself and Loving yourself is not easy, but when you love yourself, you're able to draw clear boundaries. You're able to have a strong no. You're able to put people around you that empower you and that tell you the truth. My friends, they don't kiss my butt, right? They'll tell me, hey, you know, that's just, that wasn't it, my dude. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, being honest with you, but you have to love yourself because when you love yourself, Andrea, you you then realize what you what you will and what you won't put up with, right? And and for me, that has been one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn. That is like, hey, you know what? You don't have to put up with uh, with that with that G. You know what I mean? So love yourself. And it's taken me years, but I'm but I'm there. And now I got a strong now. Now I'm like, yeah, uh, that's a no for me, dog. So. <laughs> You know, just like, now I'm good. (laughs) Well, it has been a pleasure to speak with you, Leron. Thank you so much for your time. I think this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed sharing, learning about your experiences. But yeah, just like, you know, sharing thoughts and and beliefs. So no, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andrea. This has been an incredible conversation. I just, man... I just really hope that this podcast truly reaches a lot of people because this is going to help a lot of folks and just people deserve to hear Miss Juarez. Great conversations, great time. So thank you so much, Leron. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to support the show, you can share this episode with your friends, community, or with someone who may benefit from this conversation. You can also rate the show and leave a review and follow it on Instagram at project25.podcast. This is a one-woman show, so if you feel like donating as another way to support, you can go to paypal.me slash project25podcast. 
And finally, if you'd like to share your story or know someone who does, feel free to email me at andrea.project25 at gmail.com. You can also send me your comments and suggestions in case you want to see someone you like here. And that's all from me. Bye-bye!